The following program is an NBC special presentation. Joe coming into a room isn't the only reason a girl goes out a window. I'm Kevin Leeson. Bargain basement pyrotechnics. What could possibly go wrong? I'm Joe Fulgen. Siphoning gas with a vacuum cleaner really sucks. I'm Alan Newell. How many urinating women would it take to put out the Great Fire of London? I'm Torin Atkinson. Find out today on Caustic Soda. Topic today is urban fires, fires in the city, and our special guest Alan Newell, firefighter extraordinaire. That is exactly. Oh, you're reading my name tag. (laughs) History buff. If you haven't listened to the Burns episode, it might it might be useful to listen to that episode before we talk. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if it'll be. There might be some references when it's all when it's all cut together. If it'd be better to listen to that one than this one, or vice versa. But you should definitely listen to them back to back. We'll uh, we'll consult again at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Well, you should have the fire first, and then follow by the and burn. then the burns. Yeah. We'll All set right. up some analytics right. and get some data from our listeners, people mm-hmm. who listened to this one first, and then went back and asked them, "How did you feel <laughs> listening to it in that order?" Perfect. There are two roots for fire: one being power, and the other being what? Guy Fieri. P a e w r, power. Oh, that sounds like it's a root from, for power. This is pre-Indo-European. Okay. And also, Egni, E-G-N-I, which oh, leads to things ignite. like Ignite. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The former power was the inanimate form of fire, referring to it as a substance. And the latter was the animate, referring to it as a living force. And I guess that's where we got the word, okay. like, pyre from. Funeral pyre. That makes sense. Pyromaniac. Uh-huh. And, of course, pyrophobia, or also arsonphobia. Oh, arson phobia? Yeah. That's the fear of fire. It should be ars- arsonophobia. That that rolls should up. Should be arsenophobia. Yeah. Don't do that, Kevin. Jesus. Sorry, man. I forgot that you suffer from that, Joe. My apologies. A conflagration or a blaze is an uncontrolled burning that threatens human life, animal life, health, or property. A conflagration can be caused by accident, natural causes, wildfire, or arson. During conflagration, the property is damaged or destroyed by fire. Sometimes the conflagration produces a firestorm, the nuclear man, no, that's coming, yeah. in which the central column of rising heat, heated air induces strong inward winds, which supply oxygen to the fire. True or false? A firestorm? Yeah, absolutely. If you um, ever read about, uh, we won't really discuss it today because it's different, but the Dresden bombing raid in right. World War II created a firestorm where yeah. the winds toward the fire were so powerful people were sucked off their feet and pulled into burning buildings whoa oh snap that's how powerful the winds can get that sounds like telekinesis like imagine if you've been on the streets of dresden and you saw people just getting sucked into buildings that were on fire like what what must you have thought i would think fire elemental (laughs) you were a lot of dungeons and dragons (laughs) yeah you're probably saying something about the damned english actually at that particular (laughs) moment but you would have believed that magic was alive and well in the world. And it's like we're I'm living in Shadowrun if Shadowrun existed back then. It makes then. me want to reconfigure the powers of the Firestorm character. He should create balls of fire that suck people into them where they mm-hmm. burn. 
instead of being it's hard to be a good guy when you're sucking people into burning balls of fire. Well, you know, maybe he just <laughs> finds people who deserve it. Or he becomes they a bad guy. They can write guy. around it. Or they, he becomes a bad guy. Like, you know, people become maybe good guys and bad guys all the yeah. time. It's Flip a flop. hugging fire. It just wraps them up and keeps them warm and safe. You're thinking of the Human Torch. I've I've never seen one of those fires, actually. <laughs> In all your many years, never of seen one of those. That's fire. why he's a superhero. <laughs> now, this is not going to be uh, the arson episode, which we'll have at some point. So we stayed away from arson-started fires. Mm-hmm. For the arson episode, we'll need to get an arsonist in. Yeah, we'll guest. get an arsonist as a special guest. <laughs> well, I'm already here. <laughs> oh. And we'll also have a wildfire episode, I think. Uh, so that's yeah. why we're calling this is the uh, Urban Fires episode. And we'll talk about how fast caustic soda is spreading. <laughs> like hot dogs. Oh. oh. Like a rash? <laughs> Pancakes? <laughs> so, Alan, what, what, is the, what would you say the definition of fire would be? The basic definition is actually pretty boring, so I'll get it out of the way. Okay. And then uh, we can talk a bit more about it. Fire is a chemical reaction. It's a self-sustaining chemical process, meaning once it's going, it can continue to go on its own. As long as it has material to burn. As long as it has, exactly what I'm about to say. Yeah, it involves a fuel source, heat, and an oxidizer. Uh, this chemical process generally emits light, heat, and various products of the combustion process. So that's like a textbook right. uh, thing. So that's what is a fu- what is fire. So what is a fire is a little bit different. Is this the difference between like, oh, I love you, but I'm not in love with you? Is, it the, is this the fireman's version of that? Uh, no. This, this is, is a fire? This is more like... But it's um, not a fire. What is fire uh-huh. is only something you're going to see on a textbook page, uh-huh. whereas a fire is something you're going to see, you know, in a house. Okay. There's a difference. One's a theory. One's a tangible reality. All right. Okay. Um, and where does phlogiston come into the picture? Phlogiston. You don't know phlogiston? <laughs> Or possibly phlogiston. The hypothetical fiery principle formerly assumed to be a necessary constituent of combustible bodies and to be given up by them in burning. <laughs> yeah, it's the old-timey uh, reasoning for what it's fire... Phlogiston, you pronounce... Uh, yeah, oh, so it was, it was all about the I'm pronunciation. <laughs> Gotta so give me something to work with here. <laughs> this is from back in the day when they thought that, that you know people were run by humors and, and whatnot and uh, you know the uh, miasma theory or whatever. It's 1700s. Yeah, I mean, the fire service is pretty set in its ways. <laughs> Yeah, but we've, we've come a, a bit we're of a way past, since we're then. We're past phlogiston. We're past phlogiston, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what, a fire, the, the way we model it or imagine it in the fire department, and this is basic science, is as what's known as the fire tetrahedron. Mm. Uh, tetrahedron oh. is a D4. It's a four-sided triangle. Right. Okay. Okay. The four sides are heat, fuel. It's and, the damage that a short sword does that's, when wielded that's, by a halfling. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so you have heat, fuel, and oxidizer, which is generally oxygen. Okay. And then the other side is the chemical chain reaction. So all these things come together. You, you have a fuel source, a piece of wood. You add some heat to it in a room full of oxygen. The fire gets going. The chemical chain reaction takes off. You have a fire. Okay. okay. That's what's going on. Seems pretty simple. For us to put out a fire, you break the fire tetrahedron, take one of those four away. Oh. And the fire goes out. So that's Wow. So firefighters doing. are lazy because they don't want to attack all four at the same time? Well, you, you, need know, four more, four, you need four more people. Well, we're unionized. We're <laughs> unionized. Come on. <laughs> so the most common way, of course, you've seen is we pour water on it. Yeah. Which, okay. and here's, here's a quick quiz. When you're putting water on a fire, which of the four sides are you eliminating? Oh. Oxygen. Uh, heat. Give me the four corners again. Actually, it might even be oxygen, oxygen, heat, uh, oxygen, heat, heat, fuel, and a chemical fuel chain reaction. and chain reaction. Oh. I'm going with oxygen. You drown I'm gonna, it. I'm going to go heat or chain reaction. Oh, okay. wow, hedging your bets. Nice. 
<laughs> and Joe, Joe said, I, I just ate up two of them. You're all right. Oh, yeah. All of it? It attacks all four at the same time? Well, it doesn't do all four. You've still got the fuel source there. The wood right. or oh, whatever's okay. burning it is still there. It doesn't. Really unless the, the force of the water, <laughs> the water pressure is so strong that it blows the building Which, over. Which, <laughs> well, we will do that sometimes. If, if there's a pile of rubbish on fire, use the hose to blow it apart. Okay. And spread it away. So in a way, you could do that. But what's happening is, is uh, fire is, is what's called an, endotherm- or, sorry, an exothermic heat reaction. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when the chemical reaction is happening, heat is emitted. What water does is... You spray water on it, it does two things. Right away, it cools it, and it cools it by turning to steam. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Steam is an endothermic heat reaction. To turn water into steam, it needs to consume energy to do that reaction. So you put the two together, the water turning to steam takes away the heat energy from the fire, cools it off that way. Steam fills up the room, pushes the oxygen out of the room. Okay. So you've done the two. And then once you've done that, you've broken the chemical chain reaction, the fire's out. If you had... Mr. Freeze's cold ray. Okay. If you had hoses that emitted cold instead of water, would that be better or worse? Because I would take away the heat faster. I, don't know. I would like to see like a flamesicle. Like a flame. Uh, I think I saw that in like a Spider-Man comic in the 60s. Ooh, frozen fire. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I would take away the heat. But it wouldn't attack the oxygen. You wouldn't get steam because you'd like You wouldn't get it. the steam. And the steam is extremely important because water expands 1,700 times. Oh, okay. So if you have a, a cubic foot of water, it turns into 1,700 cubic feet of steam. of steam. Wow. Which you dump two or three gallons of water on a fire. You filled a room with steam and pushed the oxygen out. Right. So how do I get steam in my penis? Uh, 1,700 times of volume. I don't know. You better see a doctor. Oh, see. Light it on fire. <laughs> I th- that makes sense to me. <laughs> next on Caustic Soda. Follow up. That'll be the next follow-ups episode. I'll let everybody follow know. Follow up for our Burns work. episode. So up. I tried to light my penis on fire to get some steam inside. You can get a steam burn. Mm. Indeed you can. And there's no way your penis is big enough to call this an urban fire. <laughs> Although it does have a tiny little city on it. Yeah. Of crabs. <laughs> oh, you should really get that looked at. <laughs> Hang on. What episode is this? I'm... So that's what we do in a nutshell. That's, yeah. I mean, there are other tools. There's uh, carbon dioxide fire extinguishers, which is just a super cold gas. That's your freeze okay. ray. Okay. Right. But it also occludes the oxygen. Occludes. Occludes. Ooh. Well, pushes it out of the way. Okay. takes over. You'd suffocate in a room full of carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. Although it keeps apples fresh. That's how they store them in the off season in a room with no oxygen full of carbon dioxide. Oh, really? Oh, well. Save that for Apple's episode. Yeah, you're out exactly. Um, there are chemical powders, which interrupt the chemical chain reaction. Right. In dry chemical extinguishers, that's how they work. Um, and then for exotics like metal, metal fires, uh, combustible metals, there are specific chemical powders. What's, what's a combustible metal, for example? Uh, magnesium, aluminum. Oh. Uh, so mag wheels on cars made out of magnesium and aluminum alloys. They burn spectacularly I in think car fires. Lots of oh. metals burn. It's just yeah. you have to get them really, really hot to get them yeah. started. Yeah. And you can't put water on them. So if we show up to a car fire of something like even something as old as a, a, a Volkswagen Westphalia, they have aluminum engines and the engine just burns amazing. And then you hit it with water and suddenly the whole back end of the vehicle semi explodes. Ooh. We had one a while ago where the engine fell out and burned through the asphalt into the street oh that's awesome which was yeah and we we're standing there going, we've got no way to put this out and the crowd's watching and you're trying to look 
profession. <laughs> Why are those firefighters doing yeah, something? Exactly. That's that's it. And you're going, it's chemistry. Look, I'll get the chalkboard. I'll show you what's going All on right, here. people, gather around. We're going we're gonna to learn something here. Right. It's a learning opportunity. That is going to be, that is, would be a hell of a pothole. Yeah, it, it was It was actually pretty good. The city had to patch it up that day. So mm. Yeah, I would imagine, you know. Well, it was engine. right at the red light. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the classes of fire? Classes of fire is a, a big one. There are A, B, C, D, and K. What? What happened to E and F and G and H and I and J? I don't know. I I look at a keyboard. Where's it's knowing a, a lazy thing? fireman? They're probably just like it's a QWERTY a... thing. <laughs> I don't. K's only reasonably recently, relatively speaking, been added. Speaking speaking been added. Uh, class A means ordinary combustibles, uh, wood, paper, right. people, uh, lawn trimmings. Um, people okay. would be a combination of A and probably B. Okay. Oh, okay. What's class B? B is oils and fats. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some of us around uh, the table generally, are more, it, it are more, B, than more B than A. Yeah. And it's flammable liquids. Uh, yeah. C is energized electrical equipment. And the trick with that one is energized. Because with class C, as soon as you turn the power off, it turns into something else. It's either an A, a B, oh, or a D. Okay. All right. it, specific hazard is the electricity. D is combustible metals. So again, oh, yeah, like aluminum, yeah. magnesium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and class K is cooking oil or fat. Uh, and they're almost specifically linked to like kitchen fires. Maybe okay. That's what they call it, class K. K class for kitchen. kitchen. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm I'm just guessing. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, whoever, whichever firefighter came up with this, he was K for clever. Mm-hmm. Oh. And just a note from Wikipedia, because we are going worldwide, in Europe, those classes have a slightly different name. Yeah. Uh, the class K is class F. And in Australasia, D and E are reversed, and Class F for uh, Class K. Class C right. is Class E, and <laughs> Class D is Class D. D. Uh, okay. Class D is always Class D. This right. chart would yes. probably be available on Wikipedia for I'll, anyone I'll to bring up. I'll put a link to it, yeah. Right. Can I just convert to metric? Oh, again, the fire service is slow. <laughs> class 10, slow <laughs> class 20, you class know, 30. <laughs> all of our hoses are inch and three quarter, two and a half inch, and we're pumping oh, really? in yeah. pounds per square inch. And What a revolt in development. So that's the introduction to it. I mean, the, the next part would be how does a fire spread? How does it move around? And there's essentially three Demons. ways. Yeah, fire elementals. I thought we established that in yeah. Dresden. Yeah, fire elementals would probably be uh, conduction. They directly conduct the fire. Okay. Uh, the, the, the three methods of, of fire transfer are conduction, convection, radiation. Conduction is you've got a steel bar. You stick one end in the fire. Ten minutes later, you can't hold the handle anymore. Right. It, the heat has been conducted through okay. the okay. metal. Convection is heat transfer through air currents. Convection oven is the most famous example. Mm-hmm. It's the way a chimney does its job. You light a fire at the bottom, and if you go up on the roof and put your hand over it, you're going to burn it. Hold your hand over a candle, you're getting burnt right. from the heat being convected the up air. by air. Yep. This is how lava works, people. Lava is just not hot on the surface. The more you know. There's 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 heat yes. above the lava yeah. that radiates. Yes. Yeah. No, it radiates what... different. Okay. No, radiation and convection can occur at the same time. Part of the heat over a fire is from radiation, but uh-huh. the heat that's being carried by the gas, uh, I said air, but it could also be heat carried by water currents as well. You'll see that, you know, you get in the tub and you got to do that thing where you swish the water around right. with your hands to make yes. the circle to get the hot water to go to the back. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, convected currents of, of uh, heat. Okay. Um, so what's radiation then? Radiation is a direct uh, transfer of heat by uh, rays, essentially radiation. I mean, the, the image we have in our mind, but it can occur in a vacuum. It's the way the heat gets to the earth from the sun. Oh. 
the sun is so hot. So you get that at a house fire when you're standing across the street and you're going, wow, that's really hot over here. Whether or not there's there's any wind. Exactly. That's the radiation coming from the fire. All right. So that's how fire gets around. So what are some of the uh, fire terminology terms? Well, some of the words have uh, become very popular in regular speech. Yeah. Backdraft in 92, the film actually introduced that word to the language. Right. The Uh, common vernacular. Into the common, yeah, into my daily lexicon. If Hollywood has taught me anything, backdraft is explosive fireballs. They almost get it right. right. (laughs) To to be fair to the film. um, That's better than most Hollywood movies. Yeah. I mean, first of all, uh, start off with a flashpoint. This is the very beginning. This is when a substance burns, especially a solid, for the most part, it's not the actual material burning. You heat the item. Mm -hmm. It begins a process of what's called pyrolysis, where it begins to break down and emits a gas. And the gas floats above the substance, and it's the gas that burns. So if you look at a piece of wood on fire from the side, you'll often see a space between the flames and the actual item that's burning. Certainly on a match. You see that on a match. Yeah, exactly. And the flashpoint is the exact temperature where that gas will first flash but not continue to burn. The self-sustaining process hasn't happened. You've got enough heat to get the flashing going. You do that a bunch of times, it's going to raise it that extra half degree to get fire going full blast. Okay. And that's called its ignition temperature. And Is that why you have to light the barbecue like six times before it goes? Exactly. That's exactly why you light the barbecue. Mm. you, you got to heat up the thing enough to get it going. I mean, sometimes it's just because you don't have a good gas air mixture. Mm-hmm. But uh, heating or the inside of the barbecue. terrible barbecue. Yeah. Or those great lighters where you sit there going click, 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 <laughs> click, 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 click for 10 minutes. Uh, auto ignition temperature is the temperature at which something can be heated enough that it doesn't need an external ignition source. Heat up a room to a certain point, and it'll just burst into flames, Mm. which comes to the next term, flashover. There are a couple of good uh, YouTube clips of a flashover. Oh. Yeah, and what a flashover is, the the common phrase used in the fire department is a flashover is a fire in a room becomes a room on fire. And you have a very, very hot fire in one area in a room. The temperature builds, the temperature builds. It's got everything it needs, oxygen, heat, uh, fuel, everything's happy as a clam, burning away, building up intense heat. Right. Everything in the room begins to pyrolyze, give off those gases I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And with very little notice, poof, every single surface in the room ignites at mm-hmm. the same time. Okay. And the temperature can go from seven, 800 degrees to 15, 1600 degrees Celsius in a heartbeat. Oh, well, the, uh, the, you can see the ceiling of the room in the house is now on fire. Yeah. Right. That, in fact, that whole room is actually flashed. They're not spectacular that's the problem it's, it's a very dangerous thing if you look this guy's gear is well it was on fire and uh, that's why he came out smoking when he first stepped down the stairs but they went in judging by the fact that their lines weren't charged they didn't think this was a big deal in this clip we're watching their they lines went in weren't charged what is that hose lines weren't charged with water sorry yeah. and uh, so now they're standing outside pointing a hose at a window that yeah. fire is shooting out of like exactly. 15 feet into the air so does the fire department have like cb radio lingo terms for all of these scientific terms or do you use the scientific terms surprisingly a lot of it can simply be reduced to pointing that put water on that <laughs> that kind of thing <laughs> but um, do you call, it gets real simple when you're in the shit torn. yeah do you call a flashpoint a flashpoint or you call like an fp boomo or something like you know, that a lot of the chemistry is kind of running in the background of your brain, yeah. and you're not using it in the foreground. It's it's there to under uh, to to inform your decision making process without kind of consciously or cognitively dwelling on it. But you have to understand what's going on. Terms we do use regularly is flashpoint and uh, or sorry flashover and backdraft. 
and a backdraft, as immortalized in the film, mm-hmm. is a room that's been burning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it got very, very hot. So it experienced a flashover. Yeah, and generally that's exactly right. The room flashed over. Yeah. Uh, and th- these are generally what's called a compartment fire. It's a closed, specific It's like an apartment in a complex. Exactly, like yeah. Or even a room within a, in a, an apartment. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's had a free-burning stage. It's just been roaring, and it's consumed all the oxygen. The doors are closed. The windows haven't shattered. All the oxygen's gone. So the fire begins to die down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you still have tremendous heat, and you still have poisonous products in the air. Mm-hmm. And you still have lots of fuel. You've just used up your oxygen and your oxidizer. Someone comes along, usually a firefighter, opens the door, fresh oxygen roars in, and the room yeah. explodes. Okay. And, and you get maybe that, that explodes. like sucking wind thing too. There can be the whooshing inward suck. Sometimes it looks a little different. Uh, in the film, the backdraft happened in a split second, and it was used as this fantastic uh, murder tool. Yeah, um, backdrafts <laughs> can take three or four minutes sometimes because oh, yeah. all of the oxygen has to mix with the um, it doesn't happen the chemicals right, right when you open the door. Not mm-hmm. always. It oxygen can. doesn't teleport. It's like a good margarita, right? Like sometimes when you, uh, if you don't blend it all together and you pour in the tequila afterwards, it just sits on top. You got to stir it, right? A little uh, until it's delish. So, what's the? Is there a way that the firefighters use to combat backdrafts? Like, yeah, it's called reading smoke, and what that is? Oh, you like a smoke whisperer? Um, no, more like a braille smoke kind of guy. <laughs> can, can, can I suggest it's... that firefighters change their name from firefighters to smoke whisperer? <laughs> <laughs> Is the nickname for the backdraft fighter a front blow? So here's this is what a backdraft looks like. For reals? When, so we would show up and you look at that smoke and you go, okay, it's... Oh, Whoa. wow. It didn't have much time to get ready for that one. But the, the smoke it has a cauliflower effect. It looks like that, dirty cauliflower coming out. That okay. was Puffing. So if you see that, you just like close the door? Well, what right you want to do, and... you, wouldn't, you probably wouldn't go in if you could. That is the ideal thing for going up on the roof and opening a hole in the roof. To vent the hot toxic gases out the oh. roof, oh. and although the oxygen's flowing in there, the heat and the gases, the combustible gases, are ventilating out. One thing a lot of people don't know is smoke itself is flammable. Uh, another name for a backdraft is a smoke explosion, and it's because the the smoke or itself smoke explosion. Smoke. I haven't seen that one. TM that. That's a new sci-fi <laughs> TV movie if I've ever heard one. Smoke, smoke explosion versus shark doco- uh, sharktopus. <laughs> and it's because the smoke itself. Ignites. Okay. How are we going to get the shark to push into a burning building? No, smoke plosion comes after shark to push. <laughs> it's like the final grudge. An underwater installation. Oh, yeah, he's hunting them down. The, the, like the abyss installation that they've got, and it's trying to kill oh, everybody yeah. inside. I see it all. And the only other words I would add, and this is kind of a public service uh, thing sure. here, is the difference between flammable, inflammable, and combustible. Wait a minute. Flammable and flammable mean the same thing. I know that they, from The Simpsons. Dr. Nick Riviera. <laughs> That's, I don't do a very good accent for him, but he's just he's standing there and he's going, flammable. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Dr. Flammable and inflammable mean the same thing. Wow, what a country. country. <laughs> and they do. And, in fact, combustible means the same thing. Oh, okay. Uh, inflammable is being removed because people think it means cannot burn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or non-flammable, which is the correct term. So... People are buying, oh, it's an inflammable sweater for my six-year-old. I'll send them <laughs> off to the, the weenie roast with it. it but, that's, but that is what it sounds like it means. Yeah. Like It's very old, old English, or an older form of English. Yeah. Like, Stupid language. Inflammable sounds like it shouldn't burn. Inflammable, I think, is what it mm-hmm. actually yeah. means. You can, yeah. fl- you can flame this. Easily set on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Should we go to some fires in history? Yeah. Well, of course, there was a great fire of Rome in AD 64 that burned for six days, okay. approximately. The Magnum Incendium Romae. Oh, thank you. That sounds like something I would want to eat. I would want to eat that pizza. Is this the one where Nero uh, fiddled while Rome burned? He, or was that a different one? Well, he was accused of it. Uh, Nero's, as far as I know, his musical talents were only playing the lyre. Oh. Yeah, so I don't think he was really fiddling. Liar, liar, yeah. town on fire. <laughs> Yeah, the funny thing is, is I mean, Rome being 2,000 years ago, the Emperor Augustus, when he was in power several years before Nero, he had instituted a full-time paid professional fire department in the city of Rome. Right. What? They were also the um, police department, or night watch would be a more effective term. Okay, so they were watching for hijinks and for fires. Exactly. They were called the Cohortes Vigilum, mm. the cohorts of the watchmen. Okay. okay. Their job was to access the local fountains in the event of a fire established bucket brigades. And they were actually larger. Um, I did a recent check to see the size of the Vancouver City Fire Department here, about 800 roughly firefighters on it. And the Rome, uh, the City of Rome Fire Department in AD 64 was bigger than the Vancouver City Fire Department as far as staffing went. The irony was they had fewer buckets. <laughs> Just one big bucket. <laughs> or, well, the irony is they had to use buckets. That's why they needed yeah. people. Because yeah. <laughs> we, we've replaced those buckets with hoses. And, uh, and infrastructure. Yeah, and, and, and uh, hydrants that provide water. Although they had fountains all over Rome. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, but people peed in them and stuff. And so, you can uh, put a fire with a pee. Trust me. <laughs> so Nero was... Ooh, maybe that's how I'll get the steam in mine. <laughs> I saw Bob McKenzie do it, actually, in Strange Brew. <laughs> That's right. Oh, geez, I got to take a whiz so bad I can taste it. In 1666, there was the Great Fire of London. Uh-huh. Swept through the central parts of the city of London for four days in the autumn of 1666. Destroyed four-fifths of the ancient city. What? Four-fifths? That sounds like a, that, that was, that's a good time to go to your country home. They were having a rough go in London the year before the plague had hit. Yeah. Ooh, that helped you get rid of some bodies, though. It killed about 80,000 people that year. Hey, silver lining here. <laughs> Real estate was really cheap. Yeah. It was born in the ovens of uh, the official baker to King Charles II. Oh, damn. Really? Snap. Yeah. After about a block's worth of houses were on fire, the Lord Mayor, Sir Thomas Bloodworth. Oh, that... <laughs> That is, he sounds like a supervillain. Was roused and alerted about the fire. He surveyed the unfolding catastrophe, famously uttered the line, a woman might piss it out. Oh, nice. And went back to bed. Uh, and it went on for They should have found a days. woman, actually, <laughs> yeah. from the look of things. No, he is, uh, he's a Bond villain, and this was all part of one of his diabolical oh, plans. Oh, yeah, he wanted that, that area for some, yeah, to build he, a yeah, super that's fortress. Right. He was a developer or something. Yeah. In the 17th century London, the main way for citizens and soldiers, since actual firefighters didn't exist in the way that we understand them today, to combat a fire was to create fire breaks. Okay. What can you tell us about fire breaks? Fire breaks, they're actually still used in uh, certain types of firefighting, uh, most notably wildland fire firefighting uh, a fire break is essentially to clear a line between the unburned material and, and the, burn the burn material, material. Yeah, yeah. We to remove the fuel when, to remove the fuel exactly hey you're already thinking in the yeah, tetrahedron uh-huh. when i was in basic training uh one of our sometimes you got to think outside the tetrahedron though <laughs> when i was in basic training we were shooting around and we were at the gun range in vernon bc and uh, we were firing our um our thousand round magazines from our our platoon support weapons the minimis and uh, one of the uh, corporals uh, thought he was being clever and started to fire from the hip. And tracers, every 10th bullet is a phosphorus tracer, so you can see where your line of bullets is going. Right. Flew up into the dry grass the, behind the range and lit it on fire, and we all had to run out onto this hilltop and uh, dig fire breaks to try and contain the grass fire and keep it from burning the town of Vernon to the ground. 
And did you succeed? Uh, we did. We did. <laughs> but uh, we also uh, saw, uh, witnessed, I witnessed firsthand that, uh, you know, you think you have the whole thing contained and you have like about a one foot trench between the burning grass and the unburnt grass. And you go, whoo, and you wipe your soot covered hand across your forehead, just like they do in them Hollywood movies. And then the wind and takes then a up big, a little. And then, then a big gust of wind comes along. Like literally, we're standing around going, we did it, guys. And then there's like whoosh wind came along and you just watch the fire jump. Two and a half feet to the other grass. And we're like, oh, fuck. Would you call yeah. that convection? That would actually be conduction because it's an actual piece of the fire drifted over, landed oh, okay. down, and then transferred its heat. Yeah. So we had to stop that fire twice. So to create fire breaks, it was necessary to tear down buildings in the fire's path. People, mm-hmm. People's homes and their shops and businesses. Obviously, nobody wants their homes torn down. And to override this, the firefighters needed the permission of the Lord Mayor. Who was in bed. Sleeping in his bed. Right. <laughs> Uh, London Bridge in the Stuart era had several shops and houses built upon it, and this made a great fire trap. Because that's what you want in a fire, is a fire trap. Because that, that means you trap the fire inside it, right? That's what <laughs> that's that means? So never you trap anywhere. the fire elemental that is the London fire elemental that's roving around the city. You trap him inside. No? Is that, what, is that how it works? No. Oh. The fire had destroyed the water wheel at the north end of the London Bridge, cutting off the firefighter's main source of water to fight the blaze. The docks were on fire, and the barrels of oil, wine, pitch, and resin, which were stored there, burned and exploded from the heat of the flames. I have a quote. Oh. I'll do it in um, James Mason. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was really hoping for Cockney, but James Mason is probably more understandable. The stones of St. Paul's Cathedral flew like granados, the melting lead running down the streets in the stream, the very pavements glowing with fiery redness, so as no horse nor man was able to tread upon them. Yeah, because they would have been like a stone oven, like a brick oven. Mm. The the cobblestone streets would have become a brick oven. Baker's life would have been made a lot easier. Melting lead running down the streets like a stream is always fun. Parts of their life. The, the, the cooking the food in. easier, not cooking yourself harder. Yeah, cooking oh, yeah. your clients isn't uh, yeah. popular. Yeah, and it, it took place But they would years. have those like really long paddle thingies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From across the river? Yeah. You know? Just Get one 500 feet long, just, drop the pizza yeah. into the bricks. And then your paddle pizza, bursts into the flames. The wooden spatula thing. Yeah, or yeah. A, uh, you know, a loaf of bread or whatever would be cooked like that. <laughs> Let's enjoy some fine some baked bread. Some good entrepreneur. Silver lining again. Some good entrepreneur could have like really killed with like a pizza delivery business during this thing because everybody's kitchens were on fire. I wonder what the pizza market was like in 1666 <laughs> London. Huge, I'm sure. Uh, and 1666, right there, the, the year 666 in in the in the millennium was seen by many people as a prophecy of God's wrath come true. Oh, uh, or it was a papist plot. Because the British weren't too fond of... Uh, at the time, there was a war going on between uh, the Dutch and... The French and the Dutch, so... Yeah, order in the streets broke down as rumors arose of suspicious foreigners setting fires. The fears of the homeless focused on the French and French and Dutch. Uh, these substantial immigrant groups became victims of lynchings and street violence. Because that'll put the fire the out. <laughs> well, maybe they wanted the... Well, there's some water in the bodies. <laughs> Squeeze them 70% hard enough. water in the human body. Yeah, yeah. Right? Take some uh, Dutch and throw them onto the fire. Yeah, I'm Hope sure. it puts it out. That'll work. It is estimated to have destroyed the homes of 70,000 of the city's 80,000 inhabitants. That's uh, seven-eighths? Thanks. Wait, wait. Isn't it 70,000 to 80,000s? <gasps> You're good at math. Uh-huh. It is. <laughs> the death toll is unknown, but traditionally thought to have been small, as only six verified deaths were recorded. Six. But those were people of name. They didn't bother to count 
The immigrants. The average poor person or immigrants. Right. Or, yeah. yeah, I guess you can't attribute the lynchings to the fire. So, yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> only, only six fire deaths, but uh, a thousand. That's on a separate table in the statistical chart. <laughs> a thousand lynchings. Yeah. It was a hot fire. Parts of it, I mean, they, they were able to, by looking at materials afterwards that had melted, they knew some of the temperatures reached over 1,650 degrees in the outdoor air. That's not in a confined room. There, there were iron chains and locks on the city gates, and they melted off Ooh. the building so basically london became like an oven yeah like uh, and all the houses became charcoal briquettes should we move on to the 1911 triangle shirtwaist fire okay. in new york it's a very specific title for a fire oh it's a very famous fire the uh the company triangle shirtwaist was mm-hmm. located on the eighth ninth and tenth floor of uh this certain building in new york uh, as the workday was ending on a Saturday afternoon, a fire flared up in a scrap bin under one of the cutters tables on the eighth floor. The fire caused the deaths of 146 garment workers who died from the fire, smoke inhalation, and falling or jumping to their deaths. Most of the victims were recent Jewish and Italian immigrant women aged 16 to 23. No. The managers had locked the doors to the stairwells and exits, a common practice at the time to prevent pilferage and unauthorized breaks. Still, oh. com- still common. Of I'll, course. I'll talk about that after. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, so sweatshop uh, fire escape policy may yeah. have been a little bit lax. Yeah. The locked doors allowed managers to check the women's purses as they left the building at the end of the workday. Gotcha. Makes it uh, a touch difficult for women to leave in the event of fire. Mm-hmm. Once people started using the fire escape... It soon twisted and collapsed from the heat and uh, overloaded, spilling about 20 victims nearly 100 feet to their deaths on the concrete pavement below. Oh. Now, elevator operators Zito and Mortalalo saved many lives by traveling three times up to the ninth floor for passengers. Some victims uh, during this time pried the elevator doors open and jumped into the shaft, trying to slide down the cables or to land on top of the car. Okay, well, if Die Hard with a Vengeance has taught me anything, <laughs> yes, no problemo, right? Well, the weight and impacts of these bodies warped the elevator car and made it impossible for Zito to make any more attempts of a rescue with the elevator. So, like, they landed on it so hard that they broke the elevator that they dented it into well, a even today elevators wow. are delicately balanced in their shafts. Right. If, if you're ever in an elevator and it jams, the the first thing we recommend when we show up is just jump up and down a couple of times inside. And that'll often <laughs> right. knock it loose. That's, hmm. that's how delicate they're inside their track. Oh. Hmm. And of course, uh, the doors in the building opened inward at the time. Which was okay. partially changed rapidly afterwards. And uh, here's a quote from the from an onlooker. Uh, this is New York. So, uh, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Getting the character. <laughs> The crowds, I among them looked... Uh, no, I'm going to Christopher Walken. I, I, continue, maybe, maybe continue. I the crowds, I among them, look up at the burning building, saw girl after girl appear at the reddened windows, pause for a terrified moment, and then leap to the pavement below to land as mangled bloody pulp. This went on for oh. what seemed a ghastly eternity... Occasionally, a girl who had hesitated too long was licked by pursuing flames and screaming with clothing and hair ablaze, plunged like a living torch to the street. Life nets held by the firemen were torn by the impact of the falling bodies. 
I don't know if your Christopher Walken made that <laughs> yeah. soften the blow of that story, but that boy, that story is pretty horrifying. I know. Even as it's... I was reading, it, I was like, I'm losing my accent because I'm too busy thinking about these horrible things. Yeah, I mean, why he doesn't do the news. Yeah, there's, you know a, there's a lesser two evils. You are standing on a ledge outside a burning building. Do you jump to your death or do you stay there and keep burning in the hopes that something changes? We've seen something of this nature in our own lifetimes. You know, 9-11 at yeah. the, the Trade Towers, right? But the heat in those rooms, I mean, when you have six. 1600 degrees it's a physical force pushing you it's, it's not like people are standing at the window going well do i stay here <laughs> do i burn yeah. here now you or are do physically I jump? pushed out the window you know by the heat you're not making a cognitive decision to jump right um some people you know the ones that hesitated too long might have had a corner or simply resisted the heat somehow and then burst into flames which shows you how close the heat was yeah and then uh, fell to their death. This fire changed a lot of, like, policy, or...? They identified things like doors need to open outwards with the, with the flow of yeah. egress. Mm-hmm. So they brought it in, they made it a national fire code, and then they didn't enforce it. Until a few years later when there was a, a famous school fire with 100-plus students killed in the school fire because the doors all opened inward. And now everybody said, oh, okay, now we're really going to do it. Mm-hmm. And they've done it. But even to this day, you occasionally walk up to a place and you ever do it. You, you go towards the door and you slam into it because yeah. the door's going the wrong yeah. way. Yeah, right. I mean, to get your occupancy permit, the door goes the right way when you get your fire inspection. And then a year later, someone throws a stone through your window. You replace the door. They swing the door the wrong way. Oh. And that's that. You'd think the builders would know about that, though. Mm-hmm. But see, now you get people who are like, well, where does the government get off telling me how to build my door? Right? I mean, we know the answer to that. But yeah. what I'm it saying could save is, your life and exactly, the lives of others. Exactly. But if if they don't know or don't care or ah, it's not going to happen and I get this door and these hinges go this way or whatever, th- this is why these happen. I'm not saying they're right. And the fire department in this fire arrived quickly but was unable to stop the flames as there were no ladders available that could reach beyond the sixth floor. Uh, the fallen bodies and falling victims also made it difficult for the par- fire department to approach the building. Right, because you had human bombs coming yeah. down on you, raining down on you from above. Yeah. Flaming human bombs, no So that's less. the triangle shirtwaist fire. Interestingly, there was an earlier fire, the Iroquois Theater fire in Chicago, December mm-hmm. 30th, 1903. And it as well resulted in what was called panic hardware on doors, which is uh, it's the bar that runs across it. So if you lean against it with your body, the door opens. Instead right. of having to work the Instead handle. Of the exactly. Handle. It's yeah. just a big, long bar. And that and doors opening outwards was, we're going to do this now. That's 1903. Oh. And they still hadn't done it by 19. But a lot of buildings simply weren't retrofitted. Well, I'm guessing if they've got a, you know, uh, a textile sweatshop on the top three floors of a building, it's you know safety and retrofitting and all that stuff and not cutting corners sort of it's just not you know not in their bailiwick it's not their area of expertise their area of expertise is cutting corners and endangering lives <laughs> yep yeah. that's what they're good at they, and you know some... what i always say play to your strengths moving to 1942 november boston the coconut grove supper club okay this originally sounds festive Originally a garage and warehouse complex, the building had been converted to a one and a half story meandering complex of dining rooms, bars, and lounges. Mm. The owner, Barnett Barney Walansky, locked okay. exits, okay. concealed others with draperies, and even bricked up one emergency exit to prevent customers from leaving without paying. I see. Does that sound familiar to something <laughs> recently in the news? Uh, yes. On that Saturday, more than a thousand Thanksgiving weekend revelers, wartime servicemen and their sweethearts, football fans and others were crammed into a space rated for a maximum of 460 people. It was jammed. Twice the recommended uh, allowance. The fire started about 10.15 p.m. in the dark, intimate Melody Lounge downstairs. 
It quickly spread, igniting decorations on the walls and ceiling. Flames raced up the stairway to the main level, burning the hair of patrons stumbling up the stairs. A fireball burst across the central dance floor as the orchestra was beginning its evening show. Within five minutes, the entire nightclub was ablaze. Wow. How does it happen that fast? Is it just because there's like lots of like dangly bits and it's because it's like the cloth and the paper and the ephemera and like all that it, sort Well, of that's stuff? it exactly. And going back to the three methods of flame transfer, conduction, with all those bits of paper and decorations hanging down, they have tons of surface area exposed. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can conduct heat into a surface area much easier than you can into an oblique side. What I would mean by that is if you have a two by four and you hold a lighter under it, nothing's going to happen. You're going to stand there for an hour and you might get a black spot. Right. Tilt the two by four on its edge and let the flame lick from one corner up the side Mm -hmm. and it'll rather quickly catch on fire. Mm -hmm. And it's simply conduction and all the surface area that was available of combustible material. This is why when you start a fire in your fireplace, you have to use kindling and some paper and other stuff and crinkly paper. Make as much surface area as possible. And then that gets hot enough to then burn your log. Right. The building's main entrance was a single revolving door, rendered useless as the panicked crowd scrambled for safety. Bodies piled up behind both sides of the revolving door, jamming it to the extent that firefighters had to dismantle it to enter. Other unlocked doors, like the ones in the Broadway lounge, opened inwards. Again, still this is mm-hmm. 1940s now, rendering them useless against the crush of people trying to escape. Fire officials t- later testified that had the doors swung outwards, at least 300 lives could have been spared. How many people died? 492. Oh. This is the biggest this, um, nightclub fire in the United States. This feels like, you know, if I were in this situation, that I, I feel like I might even, like, go full Kool-Aid guy and just be able to, you know, hulky and, like, lift <laughs> a car off a my baby, like, just run through a wall or something and create a Kevin-sized escape hatch, <laughs> right? Kevin-shaped. Yeah. They'd find yeah. your body and wonder why the front of you is bruised. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, uh, I got out just, like, before everything got engulfed, and Kevin just kept running himself into the wall trying to break through, screaming, Oh, yeah! <laughs> If you've ever seen the Simpsons episode where they conduct a fire drill at the power plant, there's one guy who looks like he's going to be reasonable. He immediately walks over to the wall and picks up the fire extinguisher. And then he just turns around and starts smashing people with it, going, get out of my way! Get out of my way! <laughs> and that's, that's what happens to people in these circumstances. Yeah. You just yeah, panic sets yeah. in. Like, reason goes out the uh, window that you can't open because it's nailed shut. You switch from higher reasoning to, like, the limbic part of your brain, right. which is more yeah. animal. Fight or flight, and some guys fight and flight. As night deepened, the temperature dropped. Hoses froze to the ground. Smoldering bodies, living and dead, were hosed in icy water. Some victims had ingested fumes so hot that when they inhaled cold air, as one firefighter put it, they dropped like stones. That doesn't surprise me. You've been so traumatized and you probably had your lungs burned and now in comes, you know, an imbalancing temperature for your body. I'm not talking about the balance of the And you just go into shock or something. Yeah, it's, it's some sort of shock that would... Cause them to collapse. Later during the cleanup of the building, firefighters found several dead guests sitting in their seats with drinks in their hands. They had been overcome so quickly by fire and toxic smoke that they didn't have time to move. Wow. Most people in fires are killed by the smoke. If I had a choice between doing that or being in this, like, uh, textile fire where I'm like, my hair was bursting into flame and I have to jump out a window, I'd rather go in my seat with a drink in my hand, I gotta be honest. There were a few good things to come out of this fire. This was 1942. The United States is at war. Mm -hmm. Their medicine system is gearing up because they're getting ready for mass casualty events, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So Boston, they they began new burn treatments with these people from this particular fire, uh, including 
pioneering work in fluid resuscitation techniques for the burn victims. They, they treated them with a, a substance called petroleum jelly mm-hmm. instead of putting tannic acid on, which used to be put on burns. Not as bad as acid sounds terrible, but it's basically tea, mm-hmm. uh, an astringent. Uh, it was even the first use of a new blood bank that had been opened in Boston, almost one of the first. Uh, new psychiatric therapies were developed for people, and penicillin was used to treat them for, anti- for uh, infections for almost the first time in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Uh, slightly cooked guinea pigs for the uh, medical establishment. Moving back to 1657, the Great Fire of Mayriki, or Mayreki, Mayreki, Mayariki. Oh, Ricky, you're so fine, you're so fine, you blow my mind. Mayriki. Mayriki. Uh, the Japanese capital city of Edo, which is now known as Tokyo, mm-hmm. in the summer is uh, where this happened, spread quickly through the city due to hurricane-force winds, which were blowing from the northwest. Oh, this is like one of those situations where a hurricane is coming. They go, oh, I know what will put out a hurricane. A fire. <laughs> and then, boom, <laughs> they, get, they get bit in the ass with that one. The hurricane is approaching. Light the edge of the city on fire to stop it. <laughs> exactly. To scare it what? away. I don't. Do what he says. Sc- you know, because nothing scares wind elementals like fire elementals. Oh, that's true. They're natural enemies. <laughs> yeah. Now, of course, the city in this time was primarily built from wood and paper. And the buildings were especially dry due to a drought the previous year. And the roads and other open spaces between buildings were small and narrow, allowing the fire to spread and grow particularly quickly. This is the value of the story of the big bad wolf. Oh, really? Because you learn that you don't build your house out of flammable and blowable materials. <laughs> yeah. How'd that, how'd that work in hurricane. London in the yeah. uh, brick oven city? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's look at the death tolls. To be that? fair, London's roofs were all thatched. I mean, all uh-huh. the you know, and there were a lot of yeah. I think beams. actually a lot of in that time in that fire, it was a lot of wattle and daub yeah, buildings, post and beam thatched mm-hmm. roofs. What yeah. is wattle and daub? Wattle is the reeds that you use. That you there's thicker ones you put into the ground, and then you make kind of a lattice okay. with with reeds, uh-huh. and then daub is the. And I saw this because I know this because I watched Worst Jobs in History with Tony Robinson. Okay. <laughs> and Dob is like a mixture of dung. Right. And, and that's a, how you plug the cracks. And then you just, yeah, you just put this Dob all over the lattice work to make basically like this plaster material. Is this right. the source of the term shithouse? Like not, not actually meaning a place where you shit, but it's made out of shit? <laughs> it should have been. And that's, that's what Waddle and Dob is. So flammable, yeah. yes. Mm. Yeah. Very much so. It lasted for three days in uh, 1657, the Great Fire of Mayriki. Destroyed 60 to 70% of the city, claimed over 100,000 lives. Oh, that's a lot of lives. More than London. More than London, yeah. Yeah. By a lot. Yeah, six to 100,000. That's a factor of something. If a fire is wind-driven, you're not going to outrun it. It's it's just a fact of life. You can't, you can't run outrun the wind. What about people who we say run like the wind? What about those well, see, people? Well, they, you're oh, running. Those people only run as fast as they'll the just wind. keep abreast oh. of the wind, okay. so they're gone too. Especially hurricane winds. You know, you don't no. get much faster on yes. Earth than hurricane. Like wind. when it's, I mean, that's kind of what hurricane means. Puts the hurry. It's got hurry right in the right. name. There you go. <laughs> they hurry the canes. Yeah. I just thought, I heard cane. I just thought old people. I guess I had a misapprehension. Oh, yeah, there's many there different. Go. There's the sugar canes, and those are the good canes. And then yeah. there's the hurry canes that you have to run away from. Cocaine. Candy canes are okay, and the uh, cocaines. Do you put the cocaine and the candy cane with the hurry cane? <laughs> cocaine might help you outrun a hurricane. <laughs> Tune in next week for the exciting conclusion to this episode of Caustic Soda. 
Zeus is such a weird feeling to know you're alive It's such an awful feeling You're dying inside And when you wake up, startled to say I hope I don't go crazy today It's such a bad feeling An ominous feeling A feeling you know that We'll be back when the week is new And we'll have more gross facts for you. And you'll have things you want to hear about. We will too. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while struggling in a crocodile death roll. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 